Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie of First Inspection Services out of the greater Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky, and greater Dayton areas. And I am really excited about this episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show because I have racked my brain on a new idea or a new topic to talk about today and some of the best ideas that come to mind happen to be the most blindingly obvious ones that are like right in front of you but you don't see them so what would our topic be today well today we're going to be talking about flipping houses in today's seller's market today being october 25th 2019 which is insane because 2020 is right around the corner, which really sounds like a very weird year. At any rate, long story short, on flipping houses, it is a seller's market as we speak. And in a seller's market, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to flip houses because when you buy a house that otherwise is abandoned and uh, you evaluate that house as an investor and you buy that house you want to fix it up and resell it and make a profit so that is certainly an obvious item so for today's episode i don't want to just have this be for the flippers themselves aka renovators but also this episode is going to be helpful for, and I promise you it's going to be helpful. I really mean that. There's going to be some information in this episode that you may want to, uh, if you don't have an hour to listen to the whole thing, because I think this is going to take about an hour. I want you to pause it, put it on hold, and make sure you listen to it. Also, if you can, while you're listening to this, go grab a pad of paper and a pen. There's going to be some good stuff to help you be successful. And who am I talking about being successful? I mean the people who go seek out the unloved property that is going to be flipped, that being the investors. Uh, sometimes some of those may be wholesalers who buy it and then resell it to a flipper. That also is going to be the renovator, him, he, or, he or she, or, or the team themselves, and also the real estate agents who may list that house, and I do encourage you flippers out there, don't try to do everything. Your real estate agents are your friend in this. Some of you may be real estate agents and flippers all in the same body. That's great. Good, more power to you. This is for you as well. So, this episode is going to talk about picking out that house and what to look for so you don't buy a lemon and when I mean a lemon in this case, I mean something that's going to be a money pit and keep you from making that profit that you want to make. So how do you make sure you buy the right property to flip? Well, we're going to talk about that. Some of these things are going to be things you already know, and that's fine. It's just going to make you feel better, and you're going to be able to pat yourself on the back and say, Hey! The inspector went through and told me some things that I already knew because I am a smart person. Good. Good for you. 
The other things are going to be things that you hadn't thought of. And I know there's going to be a few things in here, some nuggets of wisdom to take away and help you with future investments that you're going to renovate and hopefully make a profit because that's all good. Taking a house that was unloved, giving it or, or selling it to somebody, using a realtor to help sell it, and then have a new family or a couple move in there or a single person move in there and then love that property because you did a great job in renovating it and making it look loved again. Good. That's what we're going to cover. So when you are looking for that property to buy, there are things to look for. And, and I'm going to back the train up a little bit. And I want you to please not get distracted by various things and start talking about we're going to do hardwood floors we're going to do the granite countertop we're going to do the frigid air stainless steel appliances and we're going to have that popping tile bathroom with the shower head that falls from the ceiling and there's going to be a long thin drain on the side for that real cool looking drain in that shower and that's going to be mm -hmm. all awesome well guess what there is a detached garage on this house that is ugly and has a tree growing out of the back of it. There's also an outside to this house that has vines all over the house. I am hoping, hoping, hoping that as a flipper, you are not going to concentrate just on the inside of the house. Because if you do that, you're going to end up probably with one inspection that fails... And you're going to have to reduce the price of the house. And you may, be, you may end up with something like a couple of horizontal cracks on a foundation wall that you didn't notice because you were so hot and heavy about refinishing that floor and that granite countertop and the awesome tile in the bathrooms. Now, I'm hopefully not insulting anybody, and I really hope I'm not, but I want you to go into this with your eyes wide open. So let's back the train up a little bit more and talk about your profit margin. What affects your profit margin? The roof, the air conditioner, the furnace, the foundation, meaning what? Is it cracked? More specifically, is it cracked horizontally? And even more specific to that, can you notice or do you notice or can you see if it is horizontally cracked? Some of the characteristics of such things are, did the previous owner already try to dry lock a foundation wall, whether it be block or poured foundation, and can you already see a horizontal crack on one of the foundation walls? Some of the problematic areas are if there is a hill behind your house, sloping towards your house, with water buildup on the back, hydrostatic pressure, of course, and that may crack that back foundation wall. Another one is, if you're buying a house that is a tuck under garage, going down into the house, or excuse me, down into the garage, on the left side, mm -hmm. garage is going to be on your left side, and that wall of the garage might be a block foundation or a poured, and your neighbor's yard to your left is higher than yours. In other words, water's flowing towards your house. You may encounter a house, and this is one which unfortunately we did encounter. And again, let's continue this, this uh, uh, role play here that you are 
looking for that house, you're maybe going to run this house, or maybe you're going to go to a sheriff's auction and, and bid on the house and try to get it. And you're bidding 75000 for this house, and you have a target of selling it for one one fifty five. Okay, well, let's just throw that out there. And you go into the house, <clears throat> and you see um, that it needs a new furnace, doesn't need a new air conditioner. You make a decision that it doesn't need a new roof. And you later on find out that there is a crack on the left foundation wall. Hopefully you're not going to be somebody who is going to try to dry lock that and hide it because I'm going to tell you right now, uh, most of the inspectors out there, probably 90% of them are going to find that. And then your buyer is going to want a transferable warranty. And your buyer is going to probably end up either walking away from it and forcing you to drop the price or the buyer is going to say, is there negotiating room on this and are you willing to fix it? and provide a transferable warranty, which means you got to go get one of the basement waterproofing companies to put in a solution that may cost 10 grand. 10 grand is going to significantly impact your bottom line. And you may or may not have that kind of cash to throw at this after you've bought the house. So that may end up with another problem on your hands. So again, let's make sure you pick out the right house. So uh, backing the train up, I've said that for about the third time, so I'm going to try not to say that again, but um, the items that significantly impact you as a renovator investing in this house to, to flip it are again going to be the roof, the air conditioner, furnace, and the structure, meaning either a horizontal crack or some nasty other type of crack or not. And let's also assume, and this is something you need to start thinking about, your buyers are not going to be ignorant. They're going to be incredibly well-informed. They all watch Flip This House. If they're buying a house, they have watched videos. They have watched YouTube. They have watched whatever the heck that name of that couple that everybody seems to like on Flip This House is. And they know about this stuff. They are totally informed and they are educated and they are looking for these types of things. And they have an expectation that their house is perfect. And that is incredibly annoying, yes, but you can't do anything about that. You have to accept the reality. They also know that right now, on October 25th, 2019, we're still in a seller's market. So there's not a whole lot of negotiating room when you present a house that's a first-time homebuyer house in that type of a market, probably somewhere between one fifty and two fifty thousand or maybe 125 to 250. And yeah, all of those generally are considered first-time homebuyer houses, especially sometimes when you have the two-income couples and they're buying a, a, a quarter-million-dollar house on, on two incomes, and that's a first-time homebuyer house. And it may be one that you have renovated. Um, so these things have to be taken in consideration in realistic terms. So they are really expecting almost perfection of that house. And that means that you can't put, or excuse me, you can't ignore the air conditioner that's 25 years old. You can't ignore the roof that has mildew mold stains all over it and the house is covered with vines and you're doing the granite countertop and finishing the floors and ignoring all that stuff outside. 
that stuff is, is not stuff that inspectors are going to miss. So try to start looking at the house in terms of the buyer and the inspector, not your incredibly talented artistic side, craftsman side. And yes, there are so many good renovators out there that want to show off their skills. And we see them, believe it or not, we actually tell the clients, these floors were done very well. This person took detail and pride into doing this baseboard molding and quarter-round molding and this granite countertop. Look at this diagonal with the offset, offset seam that you can't even find. Look at how good that is. They put awesome windows in this house and there are no gaps on the outside. They caulked everything perfectly. We like to point those things out. So in other words, do them because you're going to create a reputation out there in whatever town you're in that you are the renovator of choice. And if you stay with that one realtor who's helping you list those houses, you're going to be pretty successful because you're going to be head and shoulders above everybody else. All right. So as you are picking out the house, I highly suggest you go to the basement first and foremost. Maybe take a couple laps around the house first. And this is a house, again, that you see that is ugly. Is somebody lived in there and wasn't paying rent for several months, and they let vines grow all over the house. Please be real smart. And if you can't see the house, then take the bushes out. Take the vines off the house and take that tree out of the yard that is within 18 inches of the house and branches have already destroyed part of the right side rake edge of the house and of the of the roof and if the roof is 15 to 20 years old you know what like i said before your buyers are going to be incredibly well versed and knowledgeable and they're going to expect a new roof so put that into your plans i know that's you know six to eight grand and you're going to put it on right and not leave out the drip edge and the ice shield I say that again ice shield in case that didn't come out well so all those things are things that we as inspectors look for as well and make sure please past couple times I've seen roofs the roof was installed so well almost looked like a piece of art and then somebody went back and flashed the chimney I kid you not with concrete seriously they put concrete all around this chimney as if that's going to somehow keep water out and we're not going to notice that. How can you take, that's like taking the Mona Lisa and putting some watercolor on top of it to try to dress it up. That is just wrong. You just don't do stuff like that. And so also make sure when you're uh, evaluating the roof, if you have a couple of bricks that look loose or the mortar cap on top of the chimney looks like a, a problem, then if you're going to maybe go high-efficiency water heater and high-efficiency furnace, and if there's no fireplace in there, or if you're going to seal off the fireplace and make it decorative, then seal the, seal the darn chimney cap, put a metal cap on there, or mortar the whole thing and just make it go away and make it nice. Because otherwise those loose bricks and otherwise needing tuck pointing, we're definitely going to put that in the report. That, that's going to be something you want to deal with. If the gutter downspouts don't extend, 
those are like 10 bucks a piece for a for a 15 foot piece of that so go ahead and extend those that always makes the inspector very happy because we know you're looking out for the foundation and 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 grading and so forth and then the grading of course on the outside so water can shed away from the house make sure you add a little bit of topsoil on various places that are low-lying uh, that always is going to give a good impression to the inspector so just like Michael Jordan used to never get called for traveling because he got the benefit of the doubt and somebody like a uh, Tony Gwynn or a uh, Don Mattingly or I don't know let's say Wade Boggs or Rod Carew some of these other batting uh, stars always got the benefit of the doubt on strikes um, you want to get the benefit of the doubt from the home inspector in this case. So do the things, do the little things that impress us. Uh, attention to detail is great. And that means outside also, not just inside. I'm going to um, switch gears here and talk a little bit about detached garages. Let's say you buy a 1925 house and it has a detached garage somewhere along the way during your renovation you've got to remember that that detached garage exists let's say it has no power and there's still some wires going across the sky into the garage at the top of the peak coming down and that's knob and tube wiring let's get rid of that knob and tube wiring run a run a line underground come up from the corner of the little side door come on inside and put yourself that little sub panel and let's electrify that uh, garage door and, and give us a garage door opener. If there's a garage there, make a decision. You, you're going to have to make a decision. Either the garage exists or it doesn't. If you, but you can't ignore it and pretend that somehow the buyer is not going to notice that. They're going to notice that. They want a garage. If there's a one-car garage, they want to put a car in it. If they're going to put a car in it, they're not going to want to lift that door up in the middle of the night when they come home late from work. Um, and putting a spotlight on the front of that would probably be a nice touch. And yeah, I, I'm not bad with math. I know these things add up. But if you want to get top dollar for this house, then make it a desirable property that's not slapped together. Um, and if, you're gonna, if this is your first renovation, do the first one right. If you want to do some of the work yourself, then make it maybe be a goal of the first house to barely make a profit and use it as an experience and have the right teams have a licensed electrician a licensed plumber a qualified HVAC technician and watch them if you want to do these things yourself and I'm sure some of you out there want to just make sure you you watch them through all this and then maybe you can do some of this stuff yourself in the future so then on the next house you can make a larger profit by doing a lot of these things yourself, perhaps. I would say, though, that in most localities, principalities, or not principalities, municipalities, cities, and so forth, getting the city inspector and so forth is, is pretty important. So don't, don't skip that either. Now, have I ever flipped a house? Have I ever done one of these myself? No. Uh, quite honestly, my wife would not stand for that. I have enough home projects. Uh, for her to put up with and and if I took on doing a house um, that would not go over well uh, that would leave no no time at all and so I'd rather live vicariously through saying kind words about 
various flippers who do really good jobs at a lot of the houses that we inspect. And, and truly, truly, and I, and I really mean this, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm really trying to, and I hope you hear this this way, you guys out there who are flipping houses, um, I hope you really do take this to heart and use it for your own edification and success. That's the objective here. Um, so if I sound a little harsh, it's just some of the things that I've seen just didn't need to happen. They don't need to happen. And, and I would encourage you to somehow, if you have a piece of software, for goodness sakes, download an app called Project Plan. I'll bet there's a flipping house Project Plan app you can download. And that helps you keep track of everything because you are doing a glorified project plan. That's what flipping a house is. There's dependencies. There's constraints. There's limitations. And all of those need to be taken into consideration. And for goodness sakes, you, you are not going to fly by your seat of your pants because that's how you lose money on a house. So again, on the first time you flip a house, get the right teams in place. Build your teams. Build them up. Have them on hand. Make sure they're reliable. And, and try to at least break even. And then on your next one, you will learn from those mistakes. And you will be able to make a much better profit margin. For sure. I, I, I'm absolutely confident of that because I have talked to many people who have done it. Uh, so we left off with the garage. I'll tell you a story about a garage one time. We were at a flipped house and the house is gorgeous. And then finished inspecting the outside and walked over to the detached garage and went to the back of the garage. There was a 12 inch diameter elm tree growing into the back of the garage. It was a um, masonry block foundation uh, and, and walls basically for this garage <clears throat> and the house was probably about 1925 the garage was probably built about 1940 one car garage of course because back then people had one car and they didn't have a garage on the house because by the time the house was built nobody really had a whole lot of you know model t's and other other cars at that point in 1925 or thereabout maybe it was 1920 not sure so the garage was built as an afterthought, put in, the, put in there, and the, and the foundation and, and slab of the garage floor was about three to four inches thick, probably four maximum. It was all cracked up. The point, though, was that garage was still used by the people who lived there, and they somehow just ignored the elm tree that kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger and totally, I mean, it demolished the back wall of the garage. What was more incredulous was that the renovator decided to just totally ignore the garage and leave it as is, didn't tear it down. I don't think this garage was salvageable unless they took the tree out, ground the stump, which I don't know how you could get a stump grinder back there behind the garage in between the two properties, and rebuilt the garage wall. Probably doable, but was it realistically worth the expense or would have been better to just tear the garage down and take it out yeah it would have been better to take the garage out but the renovator didn't either they just left the garage there as if somehow i don't know it's kind of like uh how, how can you ignore something like that and pretend it's not there i just don't understand that 
So <clears throat> that, that was a problem with, with that house for sure. Um, so let's go back uh, to the main house again. And as a, as a flipper, you've got to make a decision on the air conditioner. We're outside, the air conditioner's there. If the air conditioner is, and I hope everybody out there who's a flipper can, can identify the age of an air conditioner. If the air conditioner looks puke green or mustard yellow, it's ancient. They just don't use those colors anymore. Uh, that's probably 30, 40 years old, somewhere in there. And the average lifespan of an air conditioner is 15 to 20. So put that in your budget. You're not going to uh, get away with that. And, and, and furthermore, a, a home warranty, no matter how good they are, is not going to take care of a 30-year air conditioner that doesn't work in the first place. The fine print matters. And if you're going to include a warranty with your property to the seller, then read the fine print. Know what you're buying. Know what you're giving to the buyer. And buyers out there know what you're getting. Read the fine print. They're not all equal. Some of them do require an initial servicing, a, a benchmark of where you're starting from on that condition of that air conditioner. And think about this. And, and home warranties are good. They really are. Um, especially if you buy them for the right reason and so forth. If you pay $600 for a home warranty and an air conditioner costs you three grand, do you think the home warranty company is going to want to replace that air conditioner? No. How can they make a profit if all they do is replace air conditioners? They're going to want to keep that thing running. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there comes a point in time where it can't run anymore and the typical lifespan is 15 to 20 years. So as a renovator, investor, would it be better to just put a new air conditioner on there and, and take that in consideration from the price of the house? Especially if your realtor who's representing you is doing comps for the neighborhood. If all the comps have new air conditioners and you're selling it for $199K and you're, you're trying to... And, and all your comps are 203 and you're trying to be just a little bit under them so you can sell it real fast, good, good marketing, good strategy, you're not going to have the same price if you have a 20-year-old air conditioner. Meanwhile, the house down the street, it's 199 has a new air conditioner. And, and furthermore, the same formula works for the furnace. Um, so you're going to need to take that into consideration. So when you're looking at your house and you're about to bid on a house at a sheriff's sale, or you're going to wholesale a house, buy it from a wholesaler, or you're doing whatever, you're acquiring a house outright, or maybe you got a lucky find through a friend in an estate, and you bought it that way, or something like that. Whatever the means that you acquired the house, you have to do your math on the air conditioner furnace. Um, I was about to say water heater, but that, that's not quite in the top four big ones. The structure, air conditioner, furnace, and the roof. The roof is, again, much trickier to figure out how old the, the roof is, but you're going to have to use a gut feel on that. And sometimes you can find a spare bag of shingles, and there's usually a date on those that you can track <clears throat> if, you're, if you're good enough to translate that and figure out how old the roof is. Um, that said... The last thing you want to evaluate 
is definitely the structure and the structure is going to be evaluated in the basement as far as your foundation walls and that's where the real expense can add up in a hurry and this is going to make or break your your decision to buy this house or not if you are buying a house for seventy thousand dollars and you want to resell it for 155 or 180 or whatever it may be that may be all well and good but if you have horizontal cracks on that foundation wall those add up very very quickly to fix because you can't put Colgate or Crest toothpaste in a horizontal crack and make it go away and you can't even use dry lock to make it go away have we seen all these scenarios yeah we actually have <laughs> and there was one house I kid you not several months apart and we did disclose this we inspected the same house how did that happen three different buyers ended up going with our company and they were so many months apart believe it or not it was like well over a year when you added them all up that i had to do a double take on the address when the person scheduled the inspection and i called the person back each time and said Hey, just letting you know, actually we called back twice because the first one obviously didn't matter. The customer, we told, hey, we're, we've inspected this house before. Here's what we found. Uh, do you want us to inspect it? Or are you still you know, going through with this and so forth? And they said, yeah. So we get to the house and on the third time inspecting this house, there, the property on the right was a little bit higher and the property on the left was a little bit higher. So essentially you're buying a house in a three foot deep valley. In other words, three foot lower than the house next to you, each one. So water flows downhill. So what do you expect to happen on the left and right sides of the house if water goes towards the house and doesn't have a way to drain away successfully? Yeah, it cracked the foundation wall on the left and right. Horizontally, in fact which means hydrostatic pressure, just squeeze that house like a, uh, well, like a sponge on each side. And those horizontal cracks, the renovator just slapped a whole bunch. And it seemed like with each inspection, and it's kind of funny because I had, I, th I think I inspected it the first time. No, I inspected it the third time. One of my inspectors inspected it the first time, and then another inspector the second time, and then I did it the third time. And it was just insane that eat, with each inspection, they put more dry lock on each side. And on the third inspection, I, I was almost to tears because I just couldn't believe that this person would think that without putting the I-beams, without doing the proper, very expensive, probably taking a loss on the house repair, they're not going to sell the house. How do you hold on to a house that long with a bank loan, a construction loan, and not, I don't know, you, you get what I'm saying there. It's just very frustrating. <clears throat> so they should not have bought that house in the first place. Did they do granite countertop? Yep. Did they do stainless steel appliances? Yep. Bathrooms, all the tile, all that good stuff, but just didn't see the most important thing, which is the most important how good are the bones of that house? Well, in that house, they absolutely sucked. Horrible. And you're not going to fix that easily, and it's going to be expensive. I, I might even say you're just probably going to have to dig some of that dirt out to get it out of the way because there's just too much pressure on the house. Way too much pressure. Everything flowed downhill towards the house. 
So that's just an extreme example. And out of all the years of doing this, I've never seen anything like that one. That was just horrible. But that said, that gets us back to the uh, horizontal crack issue. Sometimes the foundation walls in the basement are finished, and you don't know that that horizontal crack is there until you tear out the drywall. Tear out the drywall, it may be on one side, two sides, three sides, or all four sides of the house, which is unfortunate because that is very expensive. On, a, on a, just a, one wall, for example, on beginning to repair a wall, a horizontal crack, you're really talking about $5,000 just to start that project. At a minimum, that's what it's going to cost you. And here's the other thing. You're not going to fix that yourself because a savvy buyer is going to ask for a transferable warranty. So it's not. we've gone into houses where the, um, the renovator has fixed the horizontal cracks themselves and it really caused all kinds of problems because the person would not give a transferable warranty. Well, what do you expect? How do you expect the buyer to buy a house that has had a somewhat of an engineered solution without an engineer's report, with just a renovator's very confident repair with I-beams, probably installed the right way, but there's no transferable warranty. So he ended up getting a structural engineer, a licensed structural engineer, to come in and say, yeah, this is a good, good solution. And then he ended up paying a basement waterproofing company to come in, make a couple adjustments, put their name on it, and pay them an annual fee to re-warranty this thing with some of their additional parts. In the long run, if he had let them do it, and, and maybe that doesn't sound fair, but I'm sorry, life isn't fair sometimes. If you have horizontal cracks on your foundation wall, you've got to fix that thing, and you've got to give your buyer confidence that when they go to sell the house in the future, maybe 10 years from now, they have a leg to stand on. Otherwise, they have a money pit, and they're going to have to plunk down 20k to 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 make repairs and have a structural engineer's report and all that good stuff or bad stuff I should say so that that's the world we live in um, with these structural repairs getting a licensed structural engineer's report and their recommended solution is very important having the correct repair and having a a transferable warranty is of the utmost importance so when we get to a house and we see that it has had I-beams put in and so forth, if we ask the listing, or excuse me, if we ask the buyer's agent, hey, could you ask the listing agent if there's a transferable warranty with this? If there's not one, then we are going to have a licensed structural engineer further evaluate that and see if there's any further repairs or anything new that's needed. <clears throat> that's very important. So as a buyer, as an investor, and if you think you're getting a great deal at that $70,000 house you get at the sheriff's sale, if you're buying something with a horizontal crack or one or two or three or four of those or more, can you afford somewhere between 10 and 20K in your project plan and in your budget and still turn a profit? That's a decision you're going to have to make, even if it's in the best neighborhood. If the next door neighbor's house down the street that is one of your comps doesn't have I-beams and doesn't have said repair, then it's probably not because you're comparing against them. And their house is obviously superior because it hasn't cracked, at least in that way, which is the extreme way, the horizontal crack way. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. So if you can clear the hurdles of those big four, as an investor, you're probably going to do okay. 
I, I impress upon you again to have the licensed electrician, the licensed plumber, and the qualified HVAC technician, and hopefully a qualified roofing contractor in your bevy of contacts and people that you have on your team that will help you be successful. Um, uh, the other things to, to really, really watch out for, um, when, we, when we are looking at houses, and so let's say you have renovated it. Let's, let's, let's actually jump the calendar forward to you are done. Hopefully you have done the following things. When you do the tile in the bathroom and on the floors and you have transition strips between that beautiful hardwood floor that you've refinished and hopefully not left grooves on the floor because you didn't rent the drum sander for the first time and leave waves and, and you know, uh, Hawaii surf type waves throughout the, the floor. Hopefully you really knew what you were doing in doing that floor and hopefully maybe you did a good job and didn't leave loose pieces of baseboard trim and shoe molding everywhere and didn't tack those in. And in the bathrooms, you use the metal edge strips to hold the tile in and to look real professional instead of just leaving raw tile. And on the, on the bathroom floor, transitioning from that hardwood oak floor into the tile in the bathroom and you, you put a transition oak, oak wood strip or metal strip, just some sort of transition strip. And on the on the basement stairs, when you tiled off the kitchen going down to the basement stairs, you didn't just leave raw tile on the edge, but you put a strip there, a metal strip, an edge. These are the types of things that we look for. Um, why do we look for them? Because there's sloppy work, and then there's good work. And buyers really do know the difference between them, and we certainly do too. Um, also, kitchen appliances. Please, please, we know that when the dishwasher, stove, and refrigerator are new, and the microwave, we don't need all the plastic parts and user manuals still inside. It'd be nice to be ready. Be ready for your inspection. Be ready. The day before your inspection, or two days before, when you know the house is going to inspection and it's already sold, Please go over to the house and make sure that the furnace is running, the gas is still on. Hopefully nobody has turned off the utilities. Saving $18 for two days is not going to make or break you and is going to cause you confusion and delay, to quote Thomas Train out there, um, on that inspection and that real estate transaction. We don't want any confusion and delay. You want to go to the closing table and get paid. So don't make our life any harder. It doesn't need to be that way. It's frustrating if we get to a house and we've popped a lockbox and we were inside the house and it's freezing in there because somebody had the gas shut off. That's insane. Why would you do that? Um, the electric also. And the plumbing's not running. How can we inspect the house with no gas, no electric, and no water? That doesn't leave us much. So, please just, just again, look at the house from the buyer's and the inspector's standpoint, and that will make things a lot easier. Have the furnace running, the air conditioner running, you know, being able to turn on, and then the water running, and those things just go a lot, a lot better. We want to be able to run the dishwasher. We want to be able to turn on the stove. <clears throat> we want to do these things. 
and uh, hopefully we can get to the finish line. A couple little sidebars that, that, that I've learned over the years. One of the hardest things when you install a fancy shower, the kind with the swinging glass door, don't try to put in that door and those glass panels yourself the first time. I strongly suggest if you want to do that in the future, watch a person who has done that many times first and watch a whole bunch of videos before you try to tackle that yourself. You've got to get that beveled glass done right. The, bra the braces, the silicon adhesive, everything, and the, and the um, uh, water guards at the bottom of the door, the flashing, and all those things, the sweep, all those things have to be done right. We have seen so many cases where turn on the shower, water ends up in the hallway or in the, in the, on the floor because somebody didn't put those in right. And the measurements have to be exact. So somebody out there knows how to do that right. <clears throat> so that's worth paying a little extra the first time to get that right. Then you can learn how to do that on your own. That's very important. Do not underestimate that shower project with the glass walls. It is not easy. Um, again, get the right tile person to do it right. Sloppy work does not sell well. It really doesn't. And the plumbing connections for everything in the basement, um, you know, braces and brackets around things really go a long way. Sloppy wiring with no junction box covers. These types of things, oh, and where the water heater flue goes into the chimney, not sealing around there to keep carbon monoxide from splashing back, leaving off the temperature pressure relief valve, um, sloppy electrical work. Just please try to avoid these things because they just leave the impression that this renovator doesn't know what they're doing and that's just not going to go over well. So so make sure you tighten up on the detail. Make sure, remember, you're, you're, you're doing the, the work um, to impress the inspector. I'm not puffing up our chest. I'm just trying to say... If you impress the inspector, that's going to impress the buyer. It's just hand in glove. That's just the way it works. So all these things work together to make a, a successful endeavor on flipping a house. And your realtor who is helping you sell that house is going to appreciate that you've done that. I would also make sure that you give your realtor a tour on the strong points and go through that punch list with that person so that when we call to set up the inspection, that person doesn't have to call you every five minutes. Hey, the inspector called me and said the gas is not onto the water heater. Hey, the inspector called to tell me that the furnace gas is off to it. Oh, we turned off the uh, utilities a couple days ago. Oh, don't do that. <clears throat> um Make sure that everything is just ready to go on the day of the inspection. Make sure you and your realtor as your team, team member, are all on the same page on what's going on. Uh, sometimes even the locks are changed at the last minute and the key to the lock box is the wrong key in the box. If you get good on all the details, you will get to the closing table fast. You will learn well. You will be successful on your first one and hopefully turn a little bit of a profit to move on to the second one. And things will go better on the second and third and fourth one. And then you will build a reputation in your town area 
that you are the renovator of choice, that your work is the product of exquisite, exquisite craftsmanship, and you will build that reputation, and people will want to go with you and buy your houses, and realtors are going to be clamoring to represent you. That's how it is, because they want an easy sale, and I don't blame them. The easier the sale, the better. The faster you get to the closing table. So this has not by any means been an all-inclusive, uh, comprehensive um, detail of all of everything that we have seen, nor is it covering everything that you need to watch out for in a renovation, but it does start from buying the right property. Good bones, hopefully not an ancient air conditioner, not an ancient furnace, not an ancient, ancient roof. But if you have to replace those things, do. It's better to err on the side of caution than to create a bad impression for the inspector and for the buyer from the get-go because the last thing you want to do is, is not get through your first inspection and you definitely don't want to have to present the house as having fallen through on one inspection and having to drop the price of the house and then, you know, everything just goes from there negatively. So get it right the first time and your realtor will work with you for a long time. And remember too, um, I, I've said through this to look at it from the eyes of the inspector, but also from the buyer, like I said, and make it a win-win. There's a win-win with you and the buyer. It's not a win-lose. It should never be looked at as a win-lose. Uh, both parties can win if done the right way, and that way you are the most successful. So without further ado, I really appreciate you listening to this episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie. This has been a real fun one, and I feel a burden lifted off my shoulders because I've been wanting to talk about these things that, that, that we find at, at renovations or, or flipped houses that I've often, if I could just get a group of flippers in one room and just, just talk about these things with them face to face, so so I can make a bunch of people successful. Not that I know everything, but there's, again, it's just from an inspector standpoint, there's some things that just don't need to happen. Um, that's what I wanted to do, and hopefully through proxy, through podcast, and through Anchor, which definitely is the best podcasting company out there, um, this has uh, been a, a fun time, and I look forward to hearing from anybody. You can reach us. And also, until the next episode, um, thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your day, and I hope this has been beneficial to you. Thanks.